an old Spanish saying. Translated goes like this. Truth walks with a limp, but she always arrives. For almost three years, many of us have told you that the COVID-19 bioweapon shots were weapons, a bioterrorism attack on the people of America and the world by the U.S. Department of Defense. And you have every right to be skeptical, except that now evidence has surfaced that points to it. This is the Dr. Jane Ruby Show, and you're about to enter Truth in Medicine. Welcome to the Dr. Jane Ruby Show on this Wednesday, February 14th, 2024. Well, to many of us who've been at this, exposing the crimes of the COVID hoax, so much has been clear about who's doing what and why. But it's taken the public some time to trust and to start to open their eyes to see. But truth always rises to the top. It always shows up. And tonight, we're going to look at so much evidence that the COVID hoax was not a pandemic, but rather a bioterrorism attack on the people of the United States. And the person or group that's doing it is your own government, your own Department of Defense. The perpetrators are on the inside, and no one has been more consistent in bringing this evidence forward than former pharmaceutical R&D executive and analyst extraordinaire, Sasha Latipova. And Sasha joins me now. Sasha, thanks so much for coming back. I always learn so much when you're with me. Hi, Dr. Jane. Thank you for inviting me. I know you're very busy. You're traveling all over the country and the world. Uh, and you've done so much good in this. Um, you've been really focusing on a couple of things lately that I want to get to uh, tonight in this in this interview with you. Um, you've been talking about uh, consistently about the how the emergency use authorizations for all the COVID shots have essentially been illegal. And this is near and dear to my heart because I'm also a former pharmaceutical insider. And I understand, I understood from day one that something was wrong, that they were not following the normal pathways. And I want you to get into this with the audience and explain what you what you found and what you've been putting out lately. And then the other thing I want to, we're going to talk about tonight is that you now have been sharing an audio from your Substack, which is Due Diligence and Art, on the AstraZeneca leaked video where they basically uh, show you, show all of us that they are working with the Department of Defense and that this was shifted to a bioweapon or a bioweapon to a fake vaccine. So which one do you want to start with first tonight? Uh, well, we, we can talk about the EUAs, um, and that's a, that's a very uh, difficult issue for most people to understand. It was it was um, on purpose like that. Um, so the the FDA together with DOD uh, conspired, and and with um, HHS and other federal agencies agencies conspired to uh, fool the public, defraud the public. Uh, with the idea that these vaccines, so-called vaccines, injections, are are fully approved, 
first of all. So now they're claiming that they're fully approved, not just the, the, the shots themselves, but the entire platform is fully approved by the FDA. And that's a, that's a lie um, and fraud, and FDA is certifying this fraud. Uh, uh, and so that's, that's the biggest crime in my mind, because it's a crime of mass poisoning that they're running and planning to do uh, continuously, and not just in humans and animals as well, as we discussed before, all the vaccines that convert being converted to this. Uh, and so, uh, but they're, they're confusing the public and they're especially confusing the professionals about the, the exact regulatory pathways that were utilized in this whole exercise. And it took me for a long time to figure this out. And um, as I said, because it was specifically designed to fool people like myself, professionals who work in the industry, so that we believed it was one pathway, but in fact, it was a completely different one. Right. Um, so that that became uh, very clear to me, the final sort of piece of the puzzle when I saw a transcript from uh, October 22nd, 2020 meeting at the FDA, where they were discussing Operation Warp Speed. So in October, they were still supposedly in clinical trials. And at that meeting, they were discussing the progress of the uh, of the development and next steps. And so there was a specific question in that meeting posed to Doran Fink, who was at, at the time at, at the FDA, now he's at Moderna. Uh, and the question was, are you using expanded access use regulatory pathway? And he said, no, we're using emergency use authorization uh, countermeasures pathway. So that's that's that was the final piece of the puzzle that told me how they're pulling off this fraud. Can can you so, can you explain that a little bit? Like, can you just mention the difference um, between expanded use and emergency use, just really quickly, so the audience understands the difference? Right. So expanded access use pathway is uh, was introduced in the late nineties, and it's uh, a method for critically ill and terminally ill and dying people who cannot participate in normal clinical trials to get access to uh, drugs that are still being in clinical trials. So it was called expanded access use. Okay. And it in some subsections of it, it has emergency use language. Okay. And in the industry, it we all colloquially called it emergency use authorization for years. I see. It was easier. It was a shorthand, right? Sure, because what do they have and, to lose? Last ditch effort, kind of a right yeah. to try thing. Right. So, okay. so, but importantly, expanded access use has all the requirements of normal pharmaceutical approval product uh, process for so safety the drug, and efficacy. Okay. Yeah. So the drug has to be in uh, investigational legally investigational status uh ind must be opened for it investigational new drug exemption uh the the clinical trial protocols for it must be approved by institutional review board and there must be full informed consent and none of it of course can be mandated so that's so this is the same as as normal regulatory approval compliance with cgmp compliance with cgxp everything except now you can give it to people who are not formally enrolled in clinical trial. That's it. That was the only difference. Okay. And for also that this was being used for, and, and, and then, yeah, I, I just, right. you know, we, we run these, uh, and these acronyms and abbreviations, um, good manufacturing processes, um, mm -hmm. CGMP so that people mm -hmm. understand there are regulations in place that specifically outline how you must manufacture, 
package, test, make more of it after you get approved and all this other stuff. So I just want people to understand the value of what you're saying. They understand yeah. that. So, so sorry for the interruption. And and it's all regulated. There's It's a huge piece of law, the good manufacturing practices, good clinical practices, and, and the whole Food and Drugs and Cosmetics Act describes all of it, mm. you know, how this, how, how you're supposed to run your clinical trials, how the FDA is supposed to approve it and how you're supposed to manufacture it and label it properly. Okay. And, and there are severe penalties and FDA has enforcement power to stop anyone who violates any of this. And so, so we all thought, okay, this is fine. They're just doing the expanded access use. Then from this meeting turns out that they were not. So Doran Fink says specifically, no, we're not using expanded access use because if we have if we went that way, if we were using expanded access use, then we would have to have uh, institutional review board approval and informed consent. And we don't want to have those things because they create complications. So we're going to this other um, EUA countermeasures pathway, which doesn't have any of those requirements. And that's when my jaw was on the floor. Uh, and I started looking into it specifically. And yes, it's true. They created a whole entire section of Food and Drugs and Cosmetics Act. By they, I mean federal government, and they pushed it through Congress um, way before 2020. Uh, so they created this new pathway for themselves, which is called emergency use countermeasures under mm. public health emergency. It only exists under public health emergency. That's why public health emergency is so critical for this. And and, uh, and must be continued. And must be continued. Continuing it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So and and th in, under that condition, under public health emergency, everything that's illegal for the pharmaceutical products and vaccines is now totally legal for emergency use countermeasures. So that's why they don't have a requirement for informed consent. That's why everyone who went to court and said my informed consent was violated, Nuremberg called and stuff, and judge dismisses it. Judge is not bribed. Judge is actually following the law. That's the that's the brilliant part of this. You don't have to bribe and control so many people. You just create the laws that make illegal things legal, and then you're good. What you just said was absolutely eye-opening and brilliant. I, and I and I I just want to take a moment. Because we're all scratching our heads. How did they get so many judges and how did they get so many agencies? And You just said something real. All they had to do, and we've been talking about how they've changed the laws under the PrEP Act, public health emergency, Catherine Watts' work. I know you work really closely with her. Everybody knows that. And you guys compliment. The work compliments. But you just said it. They changed so many of these laws. They changed these FDA regulatory requirements so that they're not in trouble, kind of automatically. And the judges are looking at it going, hmm, okay, well, that's the law. I'm following it. So, nope, you don't have a case. And people are going, the judge was bribed. Not necessarily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not necessarily. I mean, so the judges, the federal judges, of course, defend the federal government. All they have to do is be technically correct. And then they have plausible deniability. They didn't violate anything. They were not bribed. They're honest people. They can go home and hug their family and pretend that they're good. They they can they can do immoral thing as long as it's legal. And that's what's going on here. There's legal and lawful, and that's a whole other yeah. discussion. Okay. That's, yeah. And and of course, all of these laws that I'm describing about EU countermeasures, they're unconstitutional. They're abhorrent. They legalize mass murder. But nobody wants to touch it 
you know, so that my biggest frustration, you know, I've, I've been collaborating with Catherine, what this is mostly her legal research that I'm utilizing here and my regulatory knowledge. And yeah. whenever I try to talk to people about this, even in the freedom, you know, community, I get answers, well, it's too radical. I'm moderate. I want to have moderate position. Moderate position, meaning they are going to say some true things and include a bunch of lies. Like, you know, pandemic is a thing. Yeah. I want to call people's attention to your some of your recent postings, and we'll put up some screenshots from them on Twitter, because you you did, and we can just touch on this because I want to make people aware of it. I know this is Catherine's work, not yours, but um, where you posted her presentation on the implicated international and federal laws, and basically what she's saying that underscores what you just said about, hey, you changed the laws, nobody's out of compliance, um, where she really lays out the fact that and I just want people to understand this because it's so valuable and maybe we can have you both back and have, or have Catherine back in to talk about it. But when she ties it back, the Bank of International Settlements, and you can see it in this uh, screenshot where uh, Sasha has put this on her Twitter from Catherine, that they require, I want everybody to listen to me carefully, they require countries, including the U.S., to attack their own people. This is going to sound like I better get some tin foil and put it on my head, but hang on with me. Uh, or they forfeit central banking services. So I mm -hmm. want you all to keep that in mind as Sasha lays out more of this um, revelation about how illegal the emergency use authorization and continuing the public health emergency declarations are. And um, so thank you for letting me interject that, Sasha, because mm -hmm. what we're going to talk about in, in a few minutes or even in the second segment, I don't know how we get to it, is this whole issue with Dr. Malone and other people insisting there was a pandemic. You don't want to miss my discussion with Sasha on that. But Sasha, I want you to have an opportunity to finish on this EUA piece in light of what you shared on Catherine's findings, like it all is mm -hmm. coming together. They've changed the laws to, because people can't wrap their head, Sasha, around the fact that the DOD slash government, whatever this is, is doing this. They're like, oh, come on. They're, mm -hmm. what, what, they're gonna kill us. Nobody's gonna be here to pay taxes. So what, well, do, you, what do you say? Well, so so taxes, issue of taxes. <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly correct. So uh, your taxes mean absolutely nothing. The the U.S. government collects around three trillion, uh, maybe four trillion in taxes in a good year. Okay, so it's between three and four trillion in tax in tax collection. Over fifty percent of the population does not pay taxes. They get handouts from the government, uh, and. Uh, the debt is now reaching 34 trillion and their interest payments on the debt alone is around a trillion and we're not counting the the D department of defense budget that they lost 20 some trillion and they can't find it and other stealing and other looting so taxes mean absolutely nothing you are much more cost to them due to the entitlement payments that they have promised and they can never deliver than what you get, than what they get from you from taxes, especially those over fifty percent of you that don't pay taxes. Correct. Correct. And, and so and that's why the whole argument about taxes federal, doesn't exist. Federal Reserve is not the government; mm -hmm. it's a cabal of uh, wealthy owners. And IRS, we understand, is a foreign agency. Yeah, they're they're just a like a mafia. 
pretty cartel. I mean, that's why they're hiring people to carry guns and to, you know, shake down <laughs> businesses and things okay. like that. I didn't mean to digress, but that was very valuable because people need to understand there's a larger context that does explain that your government this government is trying to hurt people, take them out, mm -hmm. and are complying with these banking requirements. If you're looking mm -hmm. for, th so let's get back to, you know, your your other your other postings um, in the last 24 hours or so, science flaws and the regulatory fraud. This presentation you made, I uh, just want to you know kind of wrap this up. Make sure you get everything in the EUA deception, uh, the uninformed consent issue. If you want to share what you've been mm -hmm. presenting on that. I think it's important. Right. So so uh, people need to realize that so far, I haven't seen a single legal case that accurately describes EUA law that, that I'm talking about. So the closest one was Paxton's um, complaint against Pfizer. It, it came closest to describing EUA law accurately. In fact, he has four pages in that complaint describing it accurately, except a very critical point that I'm, I keep bringing up is that EUA products are non-investigational and non-investigational chemical can never be subject to clinical investigation. Mm. And therefore, no clinical trials have ever been completed. So they, they, as, as I said, in October, by October 2020, they switched to the EUA status. The clinical trials at that point became non-clinical trials. They became drug parties with no constraints and no regulation because now it doesn't apply to them. They finished them, sort of finished them. They, that's Remember, they they uh, injected the placebo arm and got rid of it. And so it was supposed to be a three-year trial. Was that the 40,000... Ish or that ended yeah, up in the package 000. insert. Okay, okay. Because yeah, people say, "Well, what was that the trial?" In other words, it did start out as a legitimate trial, mm -hmm. and it started. It started technically as a legitimate trial uh, by pharma companies opening investigation on new drug exemptions in March and April of 2020. But just as like I hmm. also explained to people, you can open application to build a house on a piece of land hmm. and bring some concrete and some other things and never finish it. And you technically are still planning to build that house, but that can last forever. You switch to something completely different. And okay. that's what happened. Okay. They switched to a... a place so, which does not require that application anymore so under and i've got your slide up expanded use versus non-investigational e-way pathway the reason this is important i want people to understand is because what you're saying is under the non-investigational eua pathway which they tuck themselves in nicely they never mm -hmm. have to do a test uh testing or clinical trials mm -hmm. okay yeah. clinical trial data does not does not come into consideration for the EUAs, the minimum, the, so there's a, you know, in law also you understand there is something that's like, you know, sh sh you, you could do, you volunteer to do, the, you could do in addition to, but there's also must and shall, and there's a requirement, right? Enforceable requirement. So for the EUAs to go on the market, the minimum that's required is for HHS secretary, who is a lawyer, Javier Becerra, to think that there may be a pandemic, potential for pandemic. That's number one step. Number two step, he calls FDA commissioner and asks him to issue EUA. That's it. Wow. That's the entire pathway. So he could yeah, be corrupted and he's corrupted and manipulated. One person has a centralization of all that power, but really yeah. a representative because these strings are being pulled from up and. Of course, he's on the strings for sure. He's the key puppet. 
uh, in this whole play. And so him and FDA commissioner, and by the way, all the COVID contracts that were released, uh, all the, the vaccines and therapeutics and everything from DOD, they all had DOD sitting in the room at every meeting between pharma and FDA, ensuring that FDA is going to go along with that. You have proven so that. So they controlled yep. FDA throughout. You've, you've proven that the DOD has been in charge from the beginning of the COVID scam. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Speaking of, well, do, is there more on this? Um, well, the, the let, let me just say this. Or I'm going to ask you a question about in, informed consent, which we all started out in 2020 and 2021. Where's the informed consent? Where's the institutional mm -hmm. review board? Because people keep saying, I want another Nuremberg 2.0. Actually, you yeah. don't. Because a you few don't. people got away, you know, got scapegoated and the rest of them got aided and abetted out of the, you know, out of the public eye and lived a nice, juicy, wealthy life. So you want mm -hmm. something different. But this whole issue of informed consent, where we were scratching our heads a couple of years ago, where's the informed, what IRB let this go through? Can you say a few words about what you've discovered? I'm sure it's part of what they've written into law to absolve themselves but mm -hmm. how, how little people hang on to their protection of informed consent could have said, I'm not taking that shot. You provide a decent informed consent and get back to me. People were ignorant and either and didn't do their due diligence, like your yeah. Substack <laughs> title. Talk about that right. issue on informed consent. So, yeah. yeah, the informed consent really does not apply to EUA countermeasures. Uh, it's it's made, if, essentially it's made moot. So wow. there is language in the law that says that um, the, the FDA and HHS and whoever is administering these shots is supposed to inform the recipient of all known uh, risks and benefits of this product. Okay, so that, so that seems like it's, it implies informed consent. But then when you think about it, they, they made this product by statute non-investigational, which precludes collection of any um, uh, legal evidence of safety or efficacy ever. So if you cannot have a clinical investigation, people don't understand this. If you can't have a regulated, subject-protected human experiment that's called clinical investigation and is protected in law, protected by bioethics standards and everything else, they eliminated it. So if you don't have that, yes. you have no way of collecting, compiling the data that then you can use to inform somebody. Wow. So they're saying, we will inform you of what we know, but we're never going to collect that information. Wow. So there is no informed consent. They made it impossible. This this was not one architect. This was centuries, decades of diabolical architecture. And I've said to people, your congressional members have the responsibility of protecting the people of the United States, representing them. And this is why I know they're in on it. They're in on it on one level or another, either by carrot or stick, you know, fear or graft, but they are in on it. And none mm -hmm. of them are coming to help you because look at this track record. They could have, there's no, they have, a, like they have abdicated their power to regulate money and they gave it over to a private company called the Federal Reserve. They've abdicated their oversight responsibilities over, right? If you want to pick up on that, I mean, I'd love mm -hmm. to hear what your thoughts are on their abdication because people keep saying, well, you know, this 
so-and-so's, I won't put you on the spot with people. I'll take the heat. So-and-so's talking, at least so-and-so's holding hearings and this one. And I say, guys, what's changed in three years? They're not Mm -hmm. going to do anything. Look at what they're putting up. So what do you think of it? Yeah. They're even going backward now. So they're trying to memory hole everything that they initially, those same people I know who you're talking about, especially in Congress. Yeah. Uh, so initially they seemed like, oh, you know, truth tellers and they bring all these people to do testimony. Uh, and now they're even, you know, people that they bring in, now they're trying to justify the idea. Well, you know, there was a pandemic, there were some mistakes made. Um, you know, Fauci is incompetent and we just have so many incompetent people in federal government. They just need to be replaced. So this whole idea like, oh, let's elect whoever Trump. I, I'm not I don't support, by the way, any candidate. Me either. President. I think that's a that's a distraction at this point. It doesn't change anything. So vote for Trump and he will clean out and bring new leadership into FDA. That's that's what they want you to believe that that's going to solve the problem. It's not going to solve the problem because new leadership comes in and they have exact same laws on the book and then they continue exact same racket now under a different brand name. You know, who cares? Right, right. But they will protect the castle. The castle is these laws, the structure, this legal cage that enables them to kill people whenever they feel like it. And and so that's that that's that's exactly what needs to be addressed, and it's not being addressed in Congress. Forget it. We have we've made some you know a little bit of progress on the local level at counties. We've testified in several counties in Idaho. Several of them issued resolutions to ban these products and and uh, definitely not recommend them for children. So so I I call it victory. I, I call it success okay. because this this is this those communities are protected. If I protected five people, I'm happy. Sure. You know? I hear you. Um, if the laws have been designed to protect the criminals, what chance do we have um, to to stop this from getting to a point where we then don't have any ability to call anything out or change anything? I mean, we in the U.S., we are lucky that we have Second Amendment, first of all. So everyone should be prepared to defend themselves and their families. And I hope it doesn't come to violence. I really don't want it to be uh, that way. Uh, I advocate only for peaceful uh, lobbying and asking your government and lesser magistrates like county commissioners and sheriffs to step in and do their and do the right thing. Because federal government is not going to do the right thing. They're part of the crime cartel. Yeah. Even if maybe there are some good individuals there, the vast majority of it is the crime cartel. Uh, there's, there's some success or some movement we can see on the state level. And so that's where our attention should be, state and local level, state legislators, write to them. I have published a memo specifically about the EUA law to distribute to all health care providers to make them aware that, guys, you're being fooled to inject people with poison. Okay. And maybe that act makes it um, you know, legal for you to do, but you will have to account for what you did at some point. Yeah. Yeah, that's a and that's a good point. I'd like to get that yeah. out. I'd like to help you get you that get out. Get that out. Okay. You don't need law. You don't need Congress to do this. You can inform your local healthcare provider who's stupid and doesn't read anything, and just you know looks at the reimbursement from Medicare. Hey, maybe you don't want to kill that child at the next visit. Right. Right. How terrible, Sasha. We're going to take a break. Um, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, there's so much more to talk about. When we come back, I'm going to ask Sasha uh, about her thoughts on some recent 
uh, efforts by Robert Malone, who's the uh, self-proclaimed inventor of this poison technology, uh, on his staunch position that this was a pandemic. So don't go away. There's some very interesting discussion to come. Looks like you've been sleeping well. Megan, he's back. The my pillow guy. And you're looking good. I'm still feeling good. Well, just when you thought it couldn't get any better, we've got the best pillow ever, my pillow 2.0. <gasps> when I invented my pillow, it had everything you'd ever want in a pillow. Well, now there's new technology that makes it even better. My pillow 2.0 has my patented fill combined with a cooling fabric with temperature regulating thread. My pillow 2.0 is truly the next generation of my pillow. Now's the time to go to mypillow.com or call the number on your screen. Use the promo code to save 50% on your my pillow 2.0. Not only that, for a limited time your entire order ships absolutely free. You're sleeping even better and cooler too. And you're looking good. Feeling good. I knew you would. Mypillow.com. Hi everyone, Dr. Jane Ruby here with a quick message on how you should be protecting your retirement funds, your 401k, your IRAs. Did you know that you can protect them with physical gold and silver to avoid losing everything that you've built over your lifetime? Please call the experts at Augusta Precious Metals at 888-836-1890. At least talk to an expert, learn more about how you can protect what you've built up so that if things go crazy, as we know they will in this economy, you've got some of your investments protected with tangible physical gold and silver. Every bit as valuable as real estate, something you can touch, they can't turn off, you know, with a flick of a switch. Call the people at Augusta Precious Metals. They're wonderful. They will educate you on what this is all about and what you need to do. And they will also provide you with some warnings about how to protect yourself from other companies that may be spreading lies and scamming you. That's Augusta Precious Metals at 888-836-1890. Welcome back to the second segment of the Dr. Jane Ruby Show. Tonight, we have Sasha Latipova, who is a former R&D, uh, pharmaceutical R&D executive and an incredible analyst. We've been I've been working with Sasha for well over three years now and just just incredible work, Sasha. And so I wanted to uh, get to this issue uh, first about AstraZeneca's leak, some audio from a AstraZeneca that leaks a definite you know, discussion about the connection the DOD is running this. And then we're going to talk about Dr. Malone and his his like a little hamster, his effort to really push this. There was a pandemic, just like he said, this was a failure of public health. No, it wasn't. It was a plan. <laughs> wasn't nobody, nobody was stupid and accidental, but I digress. So let's start with the AstraZeneca piece. What do you know about that? How did you get it? And I know you did a brilliant article in your Substack. That's due diligence and art. People go to that, but we've got Sasha here tonight. So tell, tell us about the AstraZeneca revelation. Yeah, so so the the video there's a video I released only audio part of it right now. Okay. Uh, so the video was recorded at the end of 2020. It's internal AstraZeneca and it includes Pascal Soro, who is the CEO, and uh, Mark Esser, who's VP in charge of monoclonal antibodies program. 
And uh, it's a six minute video. Uh, I released audio and transcript and I provided notes and references of what they're discussing. Uh, the most important part is they, they refer at the beginning of the, of the stock that there was a consortium that they became part of in 2017, a DOD consortium uh, centered around pandemic preparedness idea. Mm. And very interestingly, Mark Esser says, well, when, when we were approached by the DOD, we thought that their idea was a little sci-fi, was more sci-fi than, than science. And the idea of we're going to predict viruses that will cause pandemics, we mean in DOD. And you guys, meaning pharma, will make drugs for them within 60 days of us identifying it. And Mark Esser, reasonably as a drug development professional, basically thought that they were out of their mind, which, which is true because this is all a BS narrative that, mm -hmm. the, that the DOD created to justify their attacks. Um, and justify their use of biological and chemical weapons, which is internationally prohibited. So, th so they approach the, approach pharma and they say, "Hey, there's this this concept." And the and the pharma says, "Well, you guys are out of your mind." And they but the DOD says, "Well, we give you grants." And pharma says, "Oh, in that case, uh, we're interested." And so that's how it started. Okay. And it was a small. It it's a small. He said it was a small team, so there wasn't a lot of money at the beginning. But then by 2020, so he says, and then we, so they had periodic meetings. They were working on some basic research, whatever they were doing. I don't know. Then he says in, uh, on February 4th, 2020, uh, we received a phone call from DOD telling us to switch from our previous models to COVID because COVID has been designated as a national security threat. And Another important data point is that at that time, there were 11 cases, PCR cases of COVID in the U.S. and no PCR, deaths. Right. Let's take yeah. a moment, a brief moment. Let me cut away and let's play. There's a little, a smaller clip of them talking about this. See, everybody can hear it in their own words. Let's, let's roll that tape right now. Esser, who has been the architect of the long-acting antibody against COVID-19. Mark? Back, back to you. Excellent. So thank you for the introduction, Mark, and it's really a pleasure to share with all of you a little bit of the journey that the long-acting antibody team has taken in 2020. But actually, our story begins back in 2017 in the basement of a quality inn in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, at a Defense Department Industry Day. There I met Colonel Matt Hepburn, who was actually the architect of the Pandemic Prevention Program, or P3. And the goal of P3 was to go from discovering a novel virus to producing a drug in less than 60 days, something that would normally take six years at best. Um, to me, this sounded a little bit more like science fiction than science, but we signed up in a small and committed and talented team of virologists, molecular biologists, and engineers started working in 2018 on new technologies to discover and manufacture antibodies against viruses. The team had actually been pretty successful on the early discovery engine piece and had won a Biopharma R&D award about this time last year. So in January, we were all anxiously following emerging news coming out of China of a, of a new disease. And it wasn't a surprise to me that when I got a call on February 4th from the de Defense Department here in the U.S. saying that the newly discovered SARS-2 virus posed a national security threat. We needed to stop everything that we were doing on our model system influenza and put everything onto SARS-2. Uh, fortunately, our top two virologists, Patrick and Ming, 
we're already a step ahead having cloned and expressed the virus protein soon after the virus sequence was published on January 21st. So thoughts, you know, further thoughts now that people have heard from the horse's mouths, DOD operation. It was a DOD operation. As I, as I knew from, um, uh, research into the contracts, the COVID contracts that became available. There are hundreds of them. And it was a huge number of companies that was involved in the production of uh, not just the injections, the, the, the COVID vaccines themselves have a supply chain of hundreds of companies, right. but there are also you know, everything else, therapeutics, monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies, just as AstraZeneca was discussing. Um, and you know, masks and swabs and deliveries and uh, obviously a lot of propaganda was paid by this. And, you know, so this is a huge operation. All of these contracts come from the DOD. So I knew about this. I knew about the MCDC consortium, which AstraZeneca is part of. MCDC consortium is a DOD consortium for development of uh, uh, the countermeasures for chemical, biological, radiological, nuclear, nuclear weapons. And so that's this whole consortium. You know, so I knew it was huge. I knew it was a lot of money. I knew it was started way back. So they're referring to 2017. Uh, the contracts, for example, for emergent biosolutions go back to 2012. Wow. wow. So this has been a very, very big planned operation. But um, I, what I wanted to jump to really quick is like contemporary times right now, I have played, I, I want to get your thoughts on this. I have played over and over again, the Albert Borla, CEO of Pfizer interview clip from Davos 2023, where he says, oh yeah, we did the studies. We're gonna have a, a seasonal flu shot. Uh, two things he admits, we're gonna have a seasonal flu shot. He doesn't feel like he's admitting it, he's bragging. Uh, that's mm -hmm. going to have mRNA. It's gonna be, you know, for this fall, 2023, which was what we're in now, the fall winter season. And he says, we're gonna have a combination uh, which is RSV, COVID, and seasonal flu, whatever those things are. They're all hoaxes. Mm -hmm. But you see the reason, I'm going to throw this in, that when you have three diseases in one injection, they get three times the excise tax from it, right? It's not per injection, it's per, like, okay. So I don't want to digress into that, but I wanted the public to know that. I try to get that out. But let's talk about what are your thoughts on it's in lots of infectious disease lots of shot he, he said it's in the flu shot now people are going to oh, get yeah. their flu shot by the millions yes so the, the entire vaccine uh industry is getting converted if not have if, if already haven't been converted to this mrna business and it's a very complex supply chain and i also i'm i'm working with the group on the animal vaccines, and it's exactly the same. Really? In it is? Okay. Human vaccines. So traditional vaccines, if you believe in them, I, I no longer advise any vaccines, traditionals or otherwise. But at least traditional ones, they were, uh, you know, sampled from some sample and then grown into in a natural medium. Mm -hmm. Like an and, egg? And like a chicken an egg? egg. And that, yeah, and that's why people have egg allergies now. Uh, and ah. uh, the, yeah, all of it. So, not just that, like there's, they're always contaminated with food proteins, 
uh, all kinds of reasons. So, so people get allergies to egg, to chicken, to soy, to uh, wheat. This is how we have gluten allergy. Wow, is that what it's, it's related all from to? The contaminations because they inject the child and the immune system now attacks it and now recognizes this protein as a uh, invader where it's a wheat protein and that in a corn or you know i know people who are allergic to almost anything like they can't eat almost anything you know it's just it's a huge problem wow so so anyway but but that that was a traditional okay. technology now because that technology also takes a long time to grow these things so now they they converted this all to a chemical reaction so they make chemicals now from DNA plasmids. Uh, so they first they make DNA plasmids, then they convert them into this RNA via chemical reaction, and then they package them into lipid nanoparticles. And they still call it a, a virus, a live virus, well, which is, by the way, Robert Malone is doing on, in that interview that you're referring to. Okay. Well, they call these things live virus, where it's a synthetic chemical. They say live attenuated. What does that mean? Or yeah, or they'll they'll do some modification again, like it's one chemical, or they'll modify something and say, well, now it's attenuated because we chemically switched off, you know, the replication replication capability. It's it's first of all, it's false. You're talking about chemicals and synthetic products. And second of all, what you think you switched off, that's still also, it's very conceptual. It can still switch back on. Okay. So wow. the, they, they, and, and, and there's so much word manipulation and confusion that yeah. they push these people. So now they've, they, they don't have clear distinction between synthetically created viruses versus naturally grown. Uh, and they can then substitute this and say, well, no, it's the same. It's a traditional vaccine with the with the live virus, where they just made it through this plasma DNA to mRNA conversion and, and lipid nanoparticle. Wow. So much duplicity, so much deception. And there's still a huge chunk of the public that are gi giant vaccine advocates attacking us like we're doing this for our, our health. Like, you know, they don't stop to think maybe things have changed. Sasha, let's get to, we're about halfway through and Sasha has consented once again, and I love it because we always get great stuff. She's consented to stay for after talk. We'll do a short after talk after the show that'll air a couple days later. But Sasha, let's get to um, uh, this discussion about Robert Malone. He did a recent interview for those who don't know. Um, he, he He's done a few, but this one circulated around social media because it was someone who had a little podcast that, you know, posted on Twitter and all that. And in it, there was a big argument um, about a pandemic and how to define it relative to, is it a pandemic of death or illness? And we're not going to get into that, but I think what's really important is to hear, you know, Sasha's take on this, which is based in um, education and intelligence in this space on where, where he kind of went, you know, wrong there in his discussion and this whole issue of pandemic be meaning large numbers of people, whether it's pan across continents or it's really more about geographic engulfing um but mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm gonna hand it over to you the you know you're an expert in this area and you mm -hmm. yeah yeah so so as we know there used to be definitions of what epidemic is and pandemic is and that historically they existed in public health historically there was a requirement to show certain uh disease burden meaning uh morbidity and mortality in actual statistics before epidemic would be declared 
that's you know old school public health is which is based on data and uh reasonable assessment of you know are we going to act against something or not and you know but that those definitions are out of the window completely gone now they removed all of those definitions and they replaced it with the idea of if we pcr if we pcr identify something then it's a pandemic that's basically <laughs> how the yeah no, but that's what that's what uh, Robert Malone is basing his argument on. He has he never, as, as far as I know, he's never denounced the fakery of the PCR test, and he's never addressed the Corman Drosten paper. Uh, uh, uh -huh. to, to Peter Corman, Christian Drosten, who fake validated the PCR against a sequence of a facsimile of a portion and uh -huh. and peer reviewed journal their own paper and published it in their own journal in 21. Okay. In one day. In one, in one day, which is a miracle <laughs> for those of us who are published. Right. So, uh -huh. yeah, he's never denounced the fakery of the PCR. So let's hold let's have that as a foundation and then. Yeah. So, so the PCR, by the way, it's not the diagnostic test. It's a lab technique. It's a lab technique that claims that they can uh, multiply DNA. They make from a small from a small portion of DNA to make more, much more DNA over this process of cooking. You know, samples with chemicals. Now, I have big big questions about that. That's a separate topic of discussion. It, because if if what they're saying is true, I can put a piece of chicken into my slow cooker and make you know 10 times more chicken 100 times more chicken <laughs> never have to it buy it again like jesus making you know fish and and loaves of bread right it's the same but they claim the same okay fine for the lab technique and lab experiment purposes i don't care do whatever you want but they've never validated this as a diagnostic test for anything right. no surprise because you can't uh, and so all the all these PCR tests, they're just like just EUAs, just like I described the EUA in the previous segment. Uh, so EUA, which requires no validation, no verification, and specifically what they're testing for is secret. So manufacturers don't disclose don't disclose the primers that they use, uh, and they don't disclose like and they say it's a commercial secret. Uh, and at least in, in a few cases, uh, by the way, I've reviewed Malone's uh, paper where he's the first author on this very prestigious paper. I'm going to publish on this. Okay. Uh, Ooh, well, cliffhanger. They were cliffhanger. Yeah, cliffhanger. <laughs> in a few days, you will see. Uh, and in that very prestigious paper, what they were testing for was, uh, in, in, among other things, is uh, papain-like enzyme. Papaya. Which is claimed to... Papaya yeah, enzyme. which is derived from papaya, and it's claimed to be part based on the gen bank, bank code. It's claimed to be part of COVID virus. So uh, allegedly, COVID virus has uh, parts in common with papaya, and many other naturally occurring things. And that's not unusual, by the way, okay. because we're all the same biology on this earth, and we all have common parts. Okay. So what these people do is they find a common and this papain enzyme happens to be very widely used in chemical engineering uh and uh, in food and in drugs and so it's commercially available how convenient so right <laughs> right and it it doesn't distinguish from a common cold or no. a papaya piece yeah but the they're same, using they it to, to, they, they, to... So that's how they set up their one of their assays. They also tested for they said they're claiming we we tested for the viral uh, nuclear nucleocapsid protein, 
again, they don't specify what it is, and nuclear capsid protein is common to all coronaviruses. So that's, again, that's part of the deception. So they will take parts that are, that are either commercially available, manufacturer has IP for it, uh, can be easily made. So all of these considerations, put them into this, into this PCR test or your lateral flow test or whatever test that you're doing in the, in the pharmacy. And they will say, well, in theory, the, the virus has these parts. And so if we detect these parts, then you have COVID. That's how they tell you that you have COVID based on those tests. It's, 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 just it's, it's a gross marker. In other words, there's nothing specific yeah. about it, but they created an entire fear and, and this whole thing. But his insistence, Malone's insistence that this was a pandemic like mm -hmm. what what what's the benefit he, of that he is very angry he gets very angry when uh you know the interviewer suggests that you know there's data out there saying that it wasn't a pandemic that it was more consistent with the yes, government he swore he swore in the interview he, he swore this is he horse, starts you know screaming. what he starts yeah he starts being really angry and he says these people are full of s and they are making their own definitions because the government declared it as a pandemic. That's his main thing. Government declared it as a pandemic and there is a PCRable something that they have. Right, right. Those are those are those are his criteria. And and he absolutely insists that this government can do this to you. They can't. Where in our constitution does it say pandemic and the government can can take our rights away and throw us into concentration camps and imprison us in our homes, uh, take away our businesses, uh, pre prevent our children from learning? Where does it say that because we have a PCR test and Robert Malone insists government can do this, they can declare a pandemic? I, Nowhere. This, Nowhere. And Nowhere. Yet this man is so angry that somebody's challenging this. It's well, he's very touchy about being challenged at all, which is in direct contest, con, contrast rather to um, um, the Malone doctrine, which is supposed to be protective of people questioning scientific, you know, authorities that Edward Dowd thought was so important uh, that he put it in the back of his book. And um when I interviewed him at the time, I said, do you understand the man is suing me for asking him questions, uh, suing me for defamation? And I just thought that was ironic that Malone, he and his wife signed a document called the Malone Doctrine. And it's, if you go point by point, it's, you know, no one should ever be, you know, chastised or attacked for asking these questions, for keeping. And I just, you know, it was just pretty disturbing considering the way he acted after that. But but he does get really, really upset. Um, in the after talk, what Sasha and I are going to discuss is the general topic of, because right now it's blatant and it's so saturated, the general topic of opposition, of controlled messaging, uh, the government contractors, which we're going to get more into. She's going to explain what that is and how these um, these... The reason we say, oh, that's a controlled narrative or this is a, you know, new narrative network or the there's a subpopulation within this sort of us non-mainstream media and uh, experts like Sasha coming in and trying to get information out. There, there's there's a subset that we've recognized that are actually trying to control that. We're going to talk about the opposition in the after talk. So, Sasha, um we have a few minutes left in this last segment. 
of the show. I want to give you the last word, but anything you'd, you'd like the, peop, the, the public to know right now, I do want you to, you know, share with them. I'll put up, we'll put up in the screen to your, um, your uh, link to your Substack, which is the main place you can find Sasha's work. And it is absolutely brilliant. It is I hate when people attack you online because they're such idiots because you have all the receipts, all the documentation. I mean, it it just doesn't get any better than that. So, you know, take a few minutes and, you yeah, know. Yeah, I, I just want everybody to take away, do not take any vaccines. Not mm -hmm. for you, not for your pets, not for your livestock. They are all being converted to this garbage platform uh, that synthetically makes chemicals packages them into other chemicals and they wreck your immune system and your microbiome so you know the, the the that's that's number one thing do not do not pcr test yourself do not test for lateral floor don't do any of these covid tests or whatever next disease x or other version they're going to come up with in the future don't do that because they identify you it's it's a target on your back nothing else mm. it doesn't tell you anything else wise and so just ignore that and ignore the idea of pandemics. They do not exist. I don't think we had a pandemic, um, personally. No. I do think it was fueled by a lot of players. It was government measures. It's government measures, government attack, uh, murder people in hospitals, in nursing homes. It's very well documented in both in the U.S. and other countries in the U.K. There, there's great reports from the U.K. They have very good statistics. It's undeniable. The government did this to people. Very hard. It was very hard for people to take very that. Very hard to, to to take that, but that's what you, this your survival depends on it. You have to understand this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So the Substack is called uh, due, diligence due diligence and art. And art. <laughs> and I love your introduction. It's I wanted to be a famous artist, but I went into pharma yeah. instead. <laughs> I think we all have a little bit of a story like that. If people knew what our original aspirations were, yes. Um, and you're on Twitter. Yeah, but I'm kind of shadow banned. Like, I, well, it's a little bit better now. But it's, so I have like close to thirteen thousand followers on Twitter. But my, you know, my tweets just other people retweeting my stuff gets more interesting uh, than yeah that's how you know me too me too mm -hmm. all right well well you don't want to miss after talk uh we're gonna we're gonna do that uh, very soon and we'll we'll air that in several days but sasha i want to thank you again for just con constantly bringing life-saving information i'll try to get out as much of your work as i possibly can and together you and Catherine watt with what you've both found and put together you know between the laws and the and the regulation fraud um on, on the government side has been invaluable and i i think you're going to go down and people say oh you're going to go down in history now you'll you guys will go down in history for laying this stuff out really appreciate it thank you you bet don't miss after talk with sasha latipova we've got some interesting stuff to talk about thanks for being with me tonight uh, i wish everybody a pleasant evening and god bless you all take care Medical disclaimer, the Dr. Jane Ruby Show does not provide medical advice. The information, including but not limited to, texts, graphics, 
Images and other material contained on this show are for informational purposes only and does not establish any kind of patient-client relationship by your viewing or attempt to communicate with Dr. Jane Ruby. No material presented on the show is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment before undertaking a new health care regimen. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have seen on the show. Thank you for watching.